Hello, good evening. We're in Psalm 119 and we come to 25 to 32. Um, three points. Give me life. Strengthen me in sorrow. Enlarge my heart. And we're looking at the fourth section of this alphabetical psalm, working its way through the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Each of the stanzas of each of the sections start with that particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet that provides the alliteration for that particular section. Tonight it is Doleth, the Hebrew letter Daleth. And it is a passage that teaches us much about the Christian life. Just looking at the parallels in the language in these passages, it is hard to do it justice. There are so many intricate connections. But we do see as we look at the passage that the psalmist is in trouble again. If you look at the very first line that we read tonight, my soul clings to the dust, indicating that the psalmist is in a life-threatening situation. If you go down to verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. In verse 29, put false ways far from me. The psalmist may be in a life-threatening situation, but he's burdened, sorrowful and grieving. He isn't sure if he can carry on. He's surrounded by false ways. Probably there is slander against him. Falsehood by wicked men who want to bring him down. But he's lifting up his soul to the Lord in his time of trouble. But it is interesting how even in Christians, when we're in times of trouble, trouble does not come alone. When we're victims of unjust trouble in our experience, oftentimes the thing that presses us hardest is our own sin. When something is happening in our experience, in our circumstance, that we're not responsible for, that we have not done anything to cause, the way we respond to it, the way we reflect on our own lives, our sin begins to weigh us down, even as we try and engage with the trouble in our circumstance or experience. That is true of all the soul troubles of all believers. And it's often in those times of trouble we sense a loss of communion with God. Have you ever gotten to the point where you just couldn't pray? You just couldn't, the words wouldn't come out of your mouth. You know what it is to be close to God, but now you feel so very far away. And the trouble is not your responsibility, but the fact that you feel far away from God weighs on you like a millstone around your neck. Well, the psalmist may be in a situation just like this and nothing is harder for a believer to endure. The very communion that we once had with God now deepens our grief in the times of trouble because we feel distant. So what does the psalmist do in that setting? He lifts up his soul to God. I love, again, what William Plumer says about this passage. Whatever we do, whatever our state may be, let us deal candidly with God and declare to him our whole case. So the psalmist is very candid, very honest. He says to the Lord, my soul is clinging to the dust. I feel like I'm almost dead. My soul is melting away to the point of dissolving. The psalmist spreads it out before the Lord and he tells the Lord exactly what is going on in his own heart. Not because the Lord needs to be informed, you understand. The Lord already knows the state of his soul but because he needs to be honest with the Lord. He needs to open up before the Lord. And I love what William Plumer goes on to say about that. If we are sad, the Lord can cheer us. If we're in the dark, the Lord can give us light. If we have no strength, he can strengthen us. If our wants are many, he can supply them. 
If we are shut up and cannot come forth, he can enlarge us. Whatever is our case, let us state it all. Even as Hezekiah spread his letter before the Lord, let us state it all to the Lord. And that is what the psalmist is doing here tonight. Opening up his heart, spreading it out before the Lord and is saying, Lord, I'm clinging to the dust. My soul is dissolving. Help me. And in the course of that, he manages to teach us two very important things about the Christian life. And I want to look at those together tonight. Psalm 119, verse 25. And you'll see that it starts with Daleth. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. When I was when I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me. Teach Graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Let me not be put to shame. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. May the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. Three petitions acknowledging our dependence on the grace of God. There is a sense in which the whole of this section is an answer to the prayer in the second half of verse 29. Um, Graciously teach me your law. The law there is not our accuser. The law is our rule of life. And the psalmist counts it as all grace for the law to teach him that rule of life. And he teaches him in this section of the psalm two ways, two things about God's way of life. The first thing I want you to see is in verse 25, 28 and 32. And as he speaks about the way of godliness, about the way of life, he emphasizes that the Christian life is utterly dependent on God's grace and power. And you see that in the three petitions, verse 25, 28 and 32. Give me life. It's something he acknowledges he cannot do for himself. Firstly, Secondly, strengthen me according to your word, something that he is acknowledging that only the Lord can do. And enlarge my heart, thirdly. And I want you to look at those three petitions with me for a few moments. They emphasise the necessity of God's grace and power if we're going to walk the Christian life, if we're going to walk in the way of godliness, in the way of righteousness. So first of all, give me life, verse 25, my soul clings to the dust, give me life. According to your word, the psalmist looks to the Lord in this life threatening situation of trouble and he cries out to God to give him life. Have you ever been at the point that you just couldn't go on? And the one who raised you from the dead of sin to the life of righteousness, the one who caused you to be born again, the one who called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Do you remember those first days of walking with him? And it was like you were breathing real air for the very first time in your life. The world was alive to his presence. The one who raised you to newness of life. The one who gave you new birth can answer that prayer when you're crying out to him in the midst of your wilderness. If if he could give you new life then, he can give you new life again. And the psalmist is saying, my soul is clinging to the dust, O Lord. You get the image. Adam was created out of the dust of the earth. We've been looking at that. And dust was so often associated in the Old Testament with Sheol, the place of the dead. And the point is that only God can give life from death. He does it when he saves us, when he converts us, when we are born again. He brings 
life from death. We do not save ourselves because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He gives us new life and the God who gives us new life can give us life in the midst of our wilderness when our souls are clinging to the dust. So the psalmist simply asks, Lord, give me life. If God has raised us from the death of sin through Jesus Christ, we may hope that he can renew life to us, no matter how close we think we are to the end. The psalmist says, give me life according to your word. And it's one of two times in which he says this same phrase, the other being verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word. And what does that mean? In the word, God makes promises to you. He makes promises to his children. And one of the promises he makes is that you are in his hand and you are under his protection and nothing can touch you apart from his will. And that it's absolutely essential to believe when you're crying out with the prayer, Lord, my soul clings to the dust. To affirm the life of the faithful is in God's hand and under his protection is absolutely essential to your comfort and to you being strengthened. That is when we lift up this petition, give me life. We must reckon with the promises of God's word. I love what John Calvin says about this. Apart from God's word, God's power would afford us little comfort. If God made these promises to you in his word, even his power would not afford us little comfort. But he has made us promises to us in his word. And therefore, when our soul clings to the dust and we cry, give me life. We do so according to the promises of his word. And we may expect blessing give me life secondly the second petition verse 28 strengthen me in sorrow we just read it a couple of seconds ago my soul melts away for sorrow strengthen me according to your word the psalmist here is so disconsolate so discouraged he feels as if his soul is dissolving in sorrow i wonder if the very language of melting away or dissolving is a picture of tears have you ever felt like that, that the tears will not stop and you just feel that you'll be a puddle eventually? Well, remember the story of Elijah. If you flick over to 1 Kings 19, I included it in the notes for this evening. Elijah wanted there to be a nationwide revival wherein the Baals were rejected and the one true God of Israel was worshipped. But even after his great contests with the false prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel and even after their defeat Elijah was in a situation of despair and after he defeats the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 19 he literally outruns a chariot back to Jezreel now Jezreel was the capital of the northern kingdom at the time and it indicates that Elijah thought that because of the miraculous deliverance that God has given not only in the defeat of the prophets of Baal with fire from heaven, consuming the altar, and the prophets of Baal being slaughtered, and the rain coming on the land at the prayers of God's prophet, that he expected there to be a response all over the nation, wherein everyone turned back to God. So he went to the capital to wait for that to happen. It would be a little like us, I guess, praying and praying and praying for a nationwide revival to break out in our country and going to London so we could be there when the ripple effect started. But when he gets to Jezreel, he's met with a messenger with a message from Jezebel saying you're going to be dead this time tomorrow. And it plunges him into discouragement. His soul 
is so filled with sorrow that it almost melts away. And Elijah begins to run. Well, look at the passage. I included it in the notes I sent out. 1 Corinthians 19, 4-8. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. He arose and ate and drank and went into the strength. And in the strength of that food, went 40 days, 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And it is an amazing picture. It, it, he's in the wilderness and he does not have anything left in him. He lies down under a broom tree in the wilderness. He just wants to die. He doesn't have any provisions. He has left his servant behind. He fully expects to die in the wilderness. And what does the Lord do? The Lord sends him an angel to cook him a hot breakfast and wakes him up and says, Elijah, eat. And by the way, here's some cool, refreshing water to go along with the food. But he's still weak and he goes right back to sleep again. And the angel of the Lord wakes him up a second time and he gets a second breakfast. And there is the picture of the answer to the psalmist's prayer in 119, Psalm 119. My soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word. The psalmist does not have anything to offer. Elijah does not have anything to offer. But the Lord had something to offer to Elijah and to the psalmist and he strengthened them. Please remember that picture. When you cry that desperate prayer to God, Lord, strengthen me. Remember how God strengthened Elijah when he had nothing left in him. He just wanted to lay down and die. And the Lord fed him. The Lord provided for him. The Lord sustained him. And third petition is in verse 32. Enlarge my heart. Now this is an exceedingly rich petition. There is no way for me to do it justice. But this is simply what I wanted to emphasise. When the psalmist says, enlarge my heart, he is asking for something that is more than intellectual. He's not looking for information. He is acknowledging we cannot do anything. We cannot do anything in the Christian life without God's divine assistance. We endeavour to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we can only do this in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what this petition is getting at. He is asking God to enlarge his heart. William Plumer says, if we're to make any good speed in the Christian life, it is by receiving strength from above. If the Lord appears and enlarges our hearts, we will have strength for every duty and delight in every sacrifice. Enlightened, evangelical, holy obedience can only spring from the operation of divine grace in the heart. We never begin to act for God until he begins to work in us all his holy will and the work of faith with power. All of our fruit comes from his work in us. And so the prayer of godliness is the prayer, enlarge my heart, give me life, strengthen me in sorrow, enlarge my heart. These three petitions show us that the way of godliness, the way of righteousness, is the way of dependence on God's grace and power. To close with three resolutions to walk in the way of godliness, in verses 30 to 32, because the way of godliness involves our response and our resolve. 
The way of godliness is not only about God's grace and power, but about our response and our resolve. The way of godliness involves our response and our resolution. Verse 30, I have chosen. Verse 31, I cling. Verse 32, I will run. First of all, I have chosen. We're reminded that one of our responses to God's work in us in the way of godliness is to choose God and his word. Have you ever known someone who had set before them two ways and they knew that the choice that was right, that they ought to make was God and his word and they did not choose it, they could not choose it? I've known such people. And of course, these people are recorded in God's word. The rich young ruler whom the Lord loved and looked at and set before him the way of life. And the rich one, run, young ruler rejected it because he loved money. But I want to take you to Hebrews 11. You had that in your notes, Hebrews 11 and verse 24 and 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. There it is. Our response to God's grace requires us this day to choose whom we will serve. God and his word or the fleeting, fleeting pleasures of sin. Secondly, I will cling. The second response, I cling to your testimonies. Now, this is another one of those interesting verbal similarities in the psalm. How did the psalm begin? My soul clings to the dust. But here the psalmist resolves, I will cling to your testimonies. It's the picture of hanging on for dear life to the word of God. My soul was clinging to the dust. Now I'm clinging to your word. There was an interesting passage in Acts where the believers have come to faith. People have been converted. They're now believers. They've come to faith in Christ. And the church in Jerusalem finds out about them. And they send Barnabas to encourage them. Acts 11.23. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. He exhorted them to remain faithful, to cling, 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 tight, to hold fast to the Lord. The King James translates that passage, that verse, who when he came and had seen the grace of God was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. The same language used in a marriage ceremony. That God has appointed a man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, remain faithful to her, be loyal to her, cling, cleave to her. The psalmist says, I'm clinging to your word. He has chosen to walk in the way of the Lord, not in the way of the pleasures, the fleeting pleasures of this life. And now he is clinging to God and his word, his response to God's grace in the way of godliness. And finally, I will run. Verse 32, I've chosen, I cling, I will run, I will run in the way of your commandments. Running is a picture of the Christian life. Paul picks it up in Philippians 3. Verse 12, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul is working out for you what the psalmist is resolving when he says, I will run in the way of God and his word. I'm pressing toward the prize. I've chosen the Lord, not the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'm clinging to his word. I'm not doing it my way. I'm clinging to his word and I'm pressing on. I'm running the way of God's commandments and my aim is the goal of the upward call. 
That is the response and the resolution of the believer to the grace of God, to the power of God in the way of godliness. And this psalm, in the midst of trouble and sorrow, teaches us the way of godliness. We're, yes, we're dependent on God's power, God's grace, and God's grace and power at work in us. It calls for a response and a resolution. May you be encouraged by these few thoughts from Psalm 119. God bless you. See you on Sunday.